Have a seat. And howdy. Back. Yes, yes. I mean, let's give the Lord a hand. Worship was absolutely phenomenal. Man. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, team. This is just absolutely amazing. It is such a fun, fun place to be, such a fun opportunity to worship the Lord together and serve the Lord together and learn from the Lord together. If you have a Bible, jump to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We're going to start a new series in the book of Romans uh, this morning. Uh, We'll be there for the the rest of the semester, uh, which will be great. We'll cover the first eight chapters of the book of Romans. If you thought we'd get through all 16, you were fooling yourselves. We will get through the first eight chapters of the book of Romans, which will be amazing. Um, And on that, there's a couple things I just want to tell you. Uh, We have a, a... with a partnership with Uversion, where we can um, submit Bible study curriculum um, that we are in devotionals that we're uh, kind of a I don't know, they, they do an amazing job of, of putting that in easy access for you. So if you have never downloaded the Uversion app, I encourage you to do that. And we have a devotional series going along with this series called Unashamed, Unashamed. And so if you go to your, the Uversion app, uh, and it will look something like this, the Unashamed uh, Uversion uh, way to follow along with us. And that's a great way to kind of help the sermons and the time in Romans go a little bit deeper with you. So that's one piece I want to give you guys. Uh, second an- announcement is this. Uh, we actually have a Grace College podcast. Uh, several people have asked uh, if there's a way to, to listen to the sermons and, and kind of go back and reflect. We do have a podcast. And so if you go to um, iTunes, go to Apple, uh, you can download our podcast and be a part of that as well. That's us, Grace College. Main Service has one as well, but so does Grace College. And you'll get um, all of our sermons there online. So enough promo materials. Let's read Romans chapter 1. Let's read it together. Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 1, it says this. Paul. A servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was the descendant from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Two, those who are, all those who are in Rome who are loved by God and called to be his saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Jump down to verse 15. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And I thank you so much for um, a place to study your word together and grow in our relationship with you. And Lord, as we embark on this journey uh, to study the book of Romans together, I pray pray that we would not be overwhelmed. We would not be uh, um, afraid of what's ahead of us, but we'd be excited to learn what you have revealed through your word. And more than anything, Lord, we pray for change. We pray that as we study your word together, that our hearts, minds, and lives would be changed. And that change would extend far beyond us individually, that we would see changes in our relationship, changes in our friendships, and ultimately, more and more people would grow to know you because of the change that you create in us. 
And Lord, that is a big prayer. That is well beyond anything that we can do in a, in a moment in a service. So we pray that your spirit would come, would make dead hearts alive, that would make um, silent, sleeping hearts energized with the power of your spirit, that we might go and be your hands and feet in this world. We love you, and I lift up this morning to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, why study the book of Romans? People ask me all the time, like, well, how do you pick a sermon series? What are you, what are you doing? What is the purpose of, of what we are studying together? And, and as we were thinking this summer about um, the series that we were going to go through really for the whole year, we thought it would be great to talk about the God of creation, how he, how he formed the whole universe, how there's an interrelationship between science and, and faith. They are not two separate things, but God is working all things together for his good. And in the second half, we were like, okay, and for the rest of the semester, what do we want to hit? And we thought it would be amazing to talk about the foundations of faith, particularly in the book of Romans. And the book of Romans has been quoted and studied extensively throughout history. John Calvin, famous theologian, said this of the book of Romans. When anyone understands this epistle, this letter, he has a passage open to him to understand the whole of Scripture. That's John Calvin. Samuel Coolidge, English poet and literary critic, says this of the letter of Romans. There is the most, it's the most profound work in existence. Frederick um, Gaudet, 19th century Swiss theologian, called the book of Romans the cathedral of the Christian faith. It is the, the highest pinnacle, it's the most beautiful pinnacle of the Christian faith. And, and I think you, I read all of those dead people and you're like, cool, dead people like Romans, that's great. Why, why should we read it in 2019? Why should we study it together in 2019? And I'll tell you, um, as, I, as we start off, there's one simple reason, and it's this. Because you can be unashamed of your faith. And you no longer have to carry shame. And that's the first part that we're looking at, um, really the first four weeks, is we're going to look at the fact that we can be unashamed of our faith, and we no longer have to carry shame. And the truth is this, we all carry a bit of shame. And that shame is either from our past, or in our present, or a future that we'll never see. For some of you, it's from your past. If I was to go to your house, or if you were to come to my parents' house, what you'll find is this. Pictures of shame. So my, my mother, uh, in, the, in the stairwell of our, of our house, like going upstairs, she has pictures of all of her children um, through the, the growing years, right? And so it's, it's literally every uh, school photo that I took all arranged in order across this photo with my crowning achievements of my senior photo of high school right there. And you're like, Kevin, why couldn't we see that? Because it's, it's a wall of shame is what it is. It's... It's those awkward years, right? And every one of us has those awkward years of junior high or, or early high school where we're like, oh my gosh, do, do we really have to ever go back there? Like, that is the shame of my past. And so some of you, it's like, it's like pictures. Literally, it's captured moments of your shame. Or some of you, it's, it's bad decisions of your past. It's like, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe they talked me into that. Why did we jump off that thing? Why did we drive to that place? Why did I get arrested? You know, like there's all reasons... <laughs> That we have, and it's from bad decisions or mistakes that we made. Or, or maybe for some of you, it's in the present. It's not your past. It's, it's something in your present. And there's a present you want to hide from. And so if I was to ask you, hey, can I, can I get a ride to the restaurant with you? Can we just ride in your car? You would go, oh, my car? <laughs> you mean the one with the Chick-fil-A bags, like all over the back of it? Like that, that, <laughs> that car? Um, if you can like, 
scoop the fries off the seat, you'll have a place to sit, you know? Like, and so, you, so some of your shame is in your present. For me, it's my garage, my, my, my garage of shame, you know? Like all the things that I don't know what to do with find their way there. It's a present you want to hide. Or some of you, it's even deeper than that. You're like, like I've got deep shame within me of, of, of sin that I can't escape from, from, from patterns of life that, that I don't want anyone to know. And it's, it's shame you literally want to hide. Like, don't come into my car. Don't come into my garage. Don't come into that part of my life because you'll see what's really going on. And you carry shame. For some of you, it's a future. I mean, some of you uh, in college, it's that time in life where, where the future is your hope. And for most of us, we put all of our hope in some unrealized future. And that's why you came to A&M. Not because you just wanted to be an Aggie, like that part was great, but there's a future you're hoping A&M will produce. It's this degree for this major and this future, or it's this school for that man for that future of babies. Like it's some future that you're hoping for, and, and you, all of your hope is wrapped in that future future. Maybe it's that organization that you wanted to join. It's you thought this semester, when I come in, I, I will go out for that organization. I will, I will rush. I will pledge. I will, I will try to get voted in and you'll do all of those different pieces. And what happened is they said no to you. And what you realize is that future will never happen. And for some of us here this morning, there's a bit of shame because of those disappointments we're carrying with us. For all of us, there is reason that we carry shame. It may be from your past. It may be from your present. Or maybe from a future that would never happen. And the question is, what do we do about that? What do we do about that shame? And I'll tell you what, the the Bible actually has a prescription for that. It's change. How do we overcome shame? It's change. And our culture knows this. Our culture knows that there's got to be some sort of change. Maybe it's a change of mind or a change of action that needs to happen to overcome the shame that we carry. So um, my wife and I watch America's Got Talent. Um, this is a safe place. Um, and so we love watching it. And uh, we love watching those people uh, randomly, I don't know, try to make it, you know. And, and, and there's always those people that should never be there you know like you really don't have a talent you dressed up as a walrus and jumped on a ball and nearly broke your neck and I just don't know that that's a talent like go YouTube it later on like I just don't know that that fits here and 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 what's so interesting of what they what every one of the judges says is this to overcome whatever disappointment you're having or to overcome whatever um, past that was behind you what they say is this what you need is radical self-acceptance just believe in you And if you believe in you enough, if you can, (laughs) here's my quote, if you can dream it, you can do it. Don't let anyone tell you you can't, walrus man. Like, do you, you can do it. And that's what our music tells us. Don't let anyone tell you you're anything but beautiful. Don't let anyone tell you you're different. What you need to overcome the shame of your past, the shame of your present or the future is just radical self-acceptance. If you believe in you, that change of mind will change your destiny. But here's the twisted reality is there's something within us that knows we're not enough. There's something within us that knows that, that my walrus costume won't carry the day. Like, I need something more. And, and Kevin, I didn't get that job opportunity, or I didn't get in that organization. And, and just believing in me is, 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 is nice, but they didn't believe in me. What do I do with that reality? So self-acceptance isn't enough. And, and so there's another kind of stream of thinking. It's not acceptance of who you are and who God has made you to be or who you happen to be. It says this, what you actually need is, uh, is to just live in the moment. 
just embrace the latest social cause or just embrace the moment you're in. If you just live in the moment, you just change that mind, you change that orientation and just live in the moment, you will no longer carry the shame that you're in. And so you can just embrace now and not worry about anything else. But the problem is tomorrow's coming. All your moments add up to a future. And just living in the moment doesn't guarantee that you have a future that you actually want. It just means you're putting off the future and that shame will come in the future. Or our last little pop culture view is this. You just hope in the future. Hope that everything will miraculously come together for the better. You don't know how, you don't know when, but you can blindly hope that everything will work out. And what I'm telling you is this, those belief systems, those changes of mind, if I just accept me, or I just live in the moment, or I just hope that it will all pan out in the end, actually is not, is not stable. It is not the stability that you need to actually overcome and move past your shame. What you actually need, what we actually need, what I need is change. A change that is so radical, that is so important, that it changes the individual, it changes people, it changes cultures, it will literally change everything. But you've got to start from the source of change. And that's what Paul starts with here. He tells the Romans, a a people he's never been to, a people that he's never actually visited, he hopes to visit them. He says, I want to tell you about the gospel of Jesus Christ that literally changes everything. And if you're not familiar with Paul, we're going to talk about him in a moment. And the fact that he is pinning this letter to these believers is absolutely remarkable because it shows the level of change that he experienced as an individual. And here's the truth. The gospel will change you. The gospel will change you at an individual level remarkably. And it's not just a radical change of mind. It's a change of everything. And he says this at the beginning of Romans chapter 1. He says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. He says, I am, I'm giving you my resume. I'm telling you who I am. And in ancient letters, that's what they would do. We begin our letters with dear so-and-so, dear Jenny, how are you doing today? Or our emails, dear so-and-so, to whom it may concern. Like we, we, we started with, um, with the person receiving the letter. But in ancient letters, they started with the author. And so he introduces himself. He says, I am a servant of Christ called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. And let me tell you, those are dramatic statements from Paul. He calls himself a servant. Now, if you're familiar at all with the life of Paul, he was actually not a believer. He was against Christians. And so there was a radical change in Paul's life in Acts chapter 7 when he was at first persecuting Christians. He was against Christ. And then he says in this moment in the letter to Romans, now I'm the servant of Christ. He was actually in Acts chapter 9 sent to stop the spread of Christianity. He, he held the coats of the men who stoned Stephen. He oversaw the murder of a Christian. And what's fascinating, he's like, I was sent to stop the spread of Christianity. And now, I'm, as I'm writing to you, I am set apart for the purposes of Christ. I'm sent for Jesus. I'm an apostle, which means sent one. 
I'm an, I'm an authority of, by Jesus, and I'm also sent by Jesus. And he says this, I was at one point set in Judaism. I was a Jewish man, and now I know that I'm set apart in Christ. I'm an entirely new, changed individual because of the intersection I had with the person of Jesus Christ. And that's significant. See, Paul lives this changed life. And all of these things that he says of himself, I'm a servant, I'm sent, I'm set apart, I'm a servant, I'm an apostle, I'm sent for the gospel, that represented a radical change in orientation. And let me tell you what, when you meet Jesus Christ, it changes everything. Throughout history, people have been radically changed by the person of Jesus Christ. But not only was Paul changed, Paul wrote this letter to, to the, the, the city of Romans, the church in Rome. And as he's pinning this letter, what he didn't realize was how much change this letter would bring. In fact, in 386 AD, a young man named Augustine, who himself was struggling with lust and sin. In fact, he majorly battled. If you read uh, Augustine's book, Confessions, he talks about the lust and sin struggle that he had with, with prostitutes and all sorts of issues that he was struggling with. And then he went and listened to a preacher named Ambrose. And when he went and listened to Ambrose, he couldn't get the words of Ambrose out of his mind. And he went home, and as he sat, um, historians tell us that he heard a child singing um, a little song that said, Tell Lege, Tell Lege, a little melody that said, Take up and read, take up and read. And it struck him that he would do something. He looked to his side and saw a scroll of the book of Romans and picked it up and started reading it. And he came to the place of Romans when it says this, put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. He said, I couldn't read anymore. He closed it and instantly at the end of that sentence, it was clear. I needed to put my faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, a light flooded my heart and all the darkness of doubt vanished away. And at that moment, the book of Romans changed. Several years later, in 1500, 1515, a man named Luther was struggling with his faith. He was an Augustinian monk. He was a monk in, kind of in the line of, of Augustine. And he was studying to teach the word. And, and he was someone that struggled so deeply with his own personal sin. He would go um, night after night to uh, different priests and just confess sin after sin after sin. Because he, was, he knew that, that God's righteous demands were so big. And he knew that he could never reach them. His shame was so deep. He would go confess and confess, confess until he came to the very beginning of the book of Romans. And he read in Romans chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, that this, that I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous will live by faith. He says, night after night I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is not the righteousness whereby through grace, um, that through grace, sheer mercy, he justifies us by faith. It's nothing that I do. It's everything he has done. And he came to faith in that moment. A couple hundred years later, in 1738, a young man named John Wesley, he'd gone to America to preach the gospel as a missionary to, uh, to Georgia, one of the colonies. And he came to Georgia, he expected to see lots of converts, to see lots of success, and he had no success. And he goes back to England defeated. 
And he goes to a Bible study, a group of guys studying the book of Romans. And they're reading literally the commentary that Luther wrote on Romans. And he comes to the first part. And he, as the book is, the commentary of Romans is being read, he says, I felt my heart strangely warm. He goes on to say, I felt I did trust in Christ and Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken my sins away, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. And I was there at the Aldersgate Street at the reading of the book of Romans that John Wesley was redeemed. It's amazing. The gospel has changed individuals. And there's a reason it changes individuals. Is because the gospel is not merely a message to be heard. It's a person to meet. That's what Paul goes on to say. He says the gospel which was promised beforehand through the prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son who was descendant of David according to the flesh. And it was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection. It says the gospel is this. The message that Jesus Christ has come to earth. And this is all throughout the, the, the Bible, the overall promise given by God. It was promised in Genesis 3.15. says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is called the proto-evangelion, the first gospel, the first inkling that there's someone coming to rescue the world. To Abraham, it says this in Genesis 12.3, I will bless those who bless you. And whom who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. But not only to promise in the Old Testament, continuing along to David. David was a king and one of the most righteous kings, the best king that Israel had ever seen. And it says this of David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring or seed, that same seed theme who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build my house for my name, and I will establish his throne and kingdom forever. See, all throughout the Old Testament, there's a promise of a seed, one who would come, who would rule in righteousness. The book of Isaiah picks up this theme by describing in more detail what this king will do. He'll be a conquering king. But before he's a conquering king, Isaiah 53 says he'll be a suffering servant. He'll come to live the life we could not live. He will die the death we all deserve to die because of our sin. And he will be raised in victory over Satan, sin, and death. He will come. And what's fascinating is that that simple message, that simple truth that has changed individuals throughout histories, has also changed cultures. I don't know if you realize this. See, we grow up in America, and so we assume that a lot of the belief systems we have are, are normal. That everyone in, in every culture and every country should believe that in, in the rights of the individual, and in the rights of, of humanity. But what's fascinating is that it's actually the gospel that's responsible for many of those changes. See, when these individuals were changed, starting with Paul and all these people after, when they were changed, they immediately went out and started preaching the gospel. They started telling everyone about this Jesus who who lived a perfect life, rose in victory. He's the king of promise. He will restore everything into how life should be. He was the king that, that, that always we've been longing for to rescue, to redeem us. 
And in Romans 5, he says this, we have received grace and apostleship. We're getting sent out by Jesus to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of those who are in the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. See, it's fascinating that, that Christianity started as a small group in Jerusalem. And it exploded and expanded and expanded all the way to Paul is writing now in Rome. And it's phenomenal that the gospel is spreading that far. And it's true. The gospel has spread as this message is preached preached, and people are obeying. So why is the gospel spread? How does it happen? Well, the gospel is obeyed. And when the gospel is obeyed, there is real change in the world. When the gospel is obeyed, there is real change in the world. And some of you, as soon as I say that, you go, okay, how? And so one, one theologian um, says it this way, that the gospel is kind of like a pepper. On the outside, it's, it's just hard and cold. It just seems like interesting information. But when you bite into it, the fire comes. So when I was a youth pastor years ago, I, I lost a bet to a seventh grade boy. And he said, uh, okay, if you lose this, you're going to have to eat a habanero pepper. And, I, and I'd never really eaten a habanero. And so I was like, okay, no big deal, little seventh grade boy. What do I care? And, uh, and so I lose the bet. And he goes, okay, here, eat the habanero. And I take one bite of that habanero. And I'll, let me tell you this. It was horrible. And at first you bite in, you're just kind of like, okay, that's no big deal. It's just kind of hot and spicy. All right. And then, and then I swallowed it. And then the burning sensation started from my lips and worked all the way down, like all the way down, you know, like just the burning everywhere. And and I could not stop the burning. I'm there with ice cubes, like over my lips going like, this is so miserable. I hate seventh grade boys. I just, I hate. And and, and I, I just, I could not understand like how that little pepper had such an impact. And let me tell you about this. The gospel seems simple. The gospel seems small, but the impact is literally world-changing. Is the gospel good for the world? That's the question. Does it change the world for the good? Well, here's one view, or one challenge to proselytizing missionaries. It says, it says this, the critique sharply expressed in the world uh, of Kenya activists, um, I'll read it from up here. Um, uh, Jomo uh, Kenyatta says this, when the missionaries arrived, the Africans had the land and the missionaries had the Bible. They taught us how to pray with our eyes closed and we opened them. We had the Bible, but they had the land. You've heard that sort of critique against Christianity. The gospel is, is good, but basically you, you're, you're after something else. You're not, it's actually not good for the world to, to send missionaries to bring the gospel to other nations. And these types of critiques are real. But there's a man named Robert Woodbury. He's actually a professor currently at Baylor University. He studied uh, at UNC, and, and um, he's a professor of religious studies. And he studied the effects of the gospel in countries across the world. And his findings were so, um, so offensive to the prevailing thought of, of his culture, of, of academia, that they, he literally had fellow professors telling him, do not print this. This will, be, this will put you on a blacklist. But as he studied, he wanted to see what were the results were from proselytizing missionaries all over the world. 
He writes this, in an interview published in Christianity Today, Woodbury summarized the positive effects of Protestant missionary works. He says this, areas where Protestant missionaries had a significant presence in the past era are on average more economically developed today with comparatively better health, lower infant mortality, lower corruption, greater literacy, higher education attainment, especially for women, and more robust membership in non-governmental associations. He says, as he looked at countries that did not have proselytizing missionaries, meaning missionaries that brought the gospel and people started changing because of the gospel, not just general help, but actually people were changed to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. He says, everything gets better. Their economic system gets better. Everything gets better. And what's fascinating is they didn't go to change politics. They simply went with the gospel. John Piper observed this, the missionaries who focused least on political transformation and most on personal conversion through the preaching of the gospel have brought the greatest democratic reforms and social welfare. It's fascinating. The gospel literally changes nations for the better. Matthew Parrish, he's a British political writer. He's not a Christian. He's an atheist, and he grew up in a in, in, in Swaziland, and later on he went back and visited that country. And he writes this. He grew up in Africa, and later on he, he went back to visit. And he writes this. Now a confirmed atheist, I'm convinced of the enormous contribution that Christian evangelism makes on Africa, sharply distinct from the work of secular NGOs, government projects, and international aid efforts. Those alone will not do. Education and training alone will not do. He thinks about it. He recalls how the African converts to Christianity that he had met as a boy, that he said they were always different. He says the new religion did not confine them, but seemed to liberate and relax them, Paris says. There was a liveliness, a curiosity, an engagement with the world, a directness in their dealings with others that seemed to be missing in traditional African life. He recalls they stood tall. Isn't that beautiful? As, as people have observed the effect of the gospel on cultures, what they've seen is these cultures thrive, these people thrive. And when those cultures go bad, the fix, the restoration, is not to punt the gospel. It's actually to go back to the source of the gospel. That's what Martin Luther did. There was a corruption going on with the gospel and what the Bible was and what the church was supposed to be. And and by getting back to what the gospel was, it helped bring reform to to an entire region in Europe. It it helped bring reform. Was it all good? Absolutely not. But the further people got from the gospel, the more corrupt society gets. But the closer we get to the gospel, the more society thrives. So how does the gospel actually remove shame? How does the gospel actually help? Well, it brings us into a radical self-reconciliation. It says this, I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed. From faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Why is the gospel sometimes shameful? Tim Keller, in his commentary on the, the gospel of Romans, gives, or the letter of Romans, gives us four big reasons. The first one is this. 
The gospel, by telling us that our salvation is free and undeserved, is really insulting. It tells us that we are spiritual failures, that the only way to gain salvation is a complete gift. This offers moral and religious people who think they are decent, decency that gives them an advantage over other moral people. He says, look, the first is this, it's unearned. You can't earn salvation. You're not good enough for salvation. None of us are. The second problem is this, the gospel is really insulting by telling us that Jesus died for us. It tells us that we are so wicked that the only the death of the Son of God could save us. This offends the modern cult of self-expression and popular belief in the innate goodness of humanity. It says, look, you're not good enough. We're not good enough. I'm not good enough. We are bad. We are worse than we think. It required a death to bring us in right relationship with God. The third one is this, the gospel by telling us that trying to be good and spiritual isn't enough. Thereby insists that there's no good person that will be saved but only those who come to God through Jesus Christ. This offends the modern notion that we're nice people and anywhere can find God in his own way. We don't like losing our autonomy. The fourth reason, the gospel tells us that our salvation was accomplished by Jesus suffering and serving, not conquering or destroying. And by following him means to suffer and serve with him. This offends people who want to want salvation to be an easy life. It also offends people who want their lives to be safe and comfortable. It, it offends everyone at some point because we believe in ourselves and we believe we can save ourselves. But shame is removed because of this, because righteousness is revealed, not required from us. It saves you from your past. Your past was bad. And the Bible doesn't shy away from that. We've all done things we regret. And God looks directly at the sin of our past and says, yes, that was bad. How you treated that person, what you said, your thoughts, your actions, all of those were bad. We're not saying to accept it. We're saying to bring it to the light and say, I was wrong. I am not as good as I hope I am. I need rescue. I need salvation. And Jesus says, yes, my righteousness covers you. It helps you in the present. God, I've made mistake after mistake. I'm not doing all that I would want to. And Jesus says, yes, you're not enough. I am for you. And it helps us in our future. God, I don't know what's coming up next. I'm, I'm hoping things will turn out better. And Jesus says, you know what? The gospel shows that not only did I die in your place for your sins, I rose in victory over Satan, sin, death, everything that destroys. And I am promising to bring a huge, amazing future And I'm inviting you in. Righteousness is revealed to us. It is not required from us. So how do we enter in to God's presence? Romans 15 says it this way. I'm eager to preach the gospel. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation. God alone saves you. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, everyone. It is universal. Everyone can be a part of this. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. See, when you stand before God, when you die, and he asks you this question, he won't ask you, but he asks you something like this. Why should I let you into heaven? Some of you may answer, well, I'm a good person. I've done right things in my life. I went to church. I even went to Southwood College. I mean, doesn't that like extra brownie points? And God's like, that doesn't matter. 
there's something called the great exchange. It's what Martin Luther writes about. All of my sin and even self-righteousness goes to Christ on the cross. And his perfect life is given as credit for me. So why should I get into heaven? Because Jesus' perfect life is given to my account. It's like he's a bagillionaire. And God says, it only costs a bagillion dollars to get in here. How do I get in? Well, I'm running his credit card. I'm running Jesus' credit card. It's to my account. And that's what's getting me in. Nothing of myself I bring. Only to the cross I cling. On my knees. On my face before Jesus Christ. And he is crowned above everyone. He is my righteousness. He lets me in to the throne room of God. He makes me right with my neighbor. He makes me right with God. He is the restoration of everything. He forgives your past. He empowers your present. And he opens up a future for you. We need him. Righteousness is revealed. And it's received. It's nothing we do. It's not required from us. That's the great news of the gospel. So what's next? Well, many of us are at different points in the receiving of the gospel. Some of you, you have never put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. Today's the day for that. The moment when you say, Jesus, I've never really believed in you. I've gone to church. I've done the Christian thing, but I've never actually trusted in you. Today's the day for that. For others of you, I want to give you three opportunities to step into. One is this, awaken. Awaken is a, is a study that's going on this semester to talk about what it looks like to bring the gospel to the nations. And that was Paul's heart, to bring the gospel to the nation. And that's our heart here at Grace, that we'd be part of bringing this life-changing message to the world. The second one is revive. We have an event coming up in October where David Platt is coming. The event's going to be at Central Baptist Church. And the purpose of that event is to help inspire all of us to put our life on mission with Jesus Christ. And so I'm encouraging you to get more information on, on that Revive event coming forward. And I want to point you, you should go to that. Go listen to David Platt, be inspired, be encouraged, and go connect with churches like us to figure out how you can be a part of bringing the gospel to the world. And the third one is this. If any of you are interested in ministry, if, if preaching is in your future, if some sort of ministry activity is in your future, if you would like to be part of being trained in ministry, I would ask you, come to my table after this and come talk to me. I want to talk with you. Because here's what we need. We need more people changed by Jesus to go into the world to change it for Jesus. And none of us can do that. The world is too big. But together, empowered by his spirit, with the life-transforming message, the world will be changed. It's the world, it's the change the world needs to bring us out of darkness and out of shame into this marvelous light. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that you have lived the life we could not live. You have died the death we deserve to die. And you have rose in victory over Satan, sin, and death. And and the fact, the simple gospel, the simple truth of that. I pray that we would be overwhelmed by it. Of our need for your death. 
And Lord, I know many of us, we don't really know how profound the gospel is to people that, that have never heard it. I, I pray that, that we would be struck to say, Lord, the gospel actually changes cultures for the better. It's, it's what the world needs. And I pray that we would be people, we'd be men and women that go to bring the gospel to the world. And Lord, some of us in this moment have never actually prayed to receive you, Jesus. And I pray they would say a simple prayer like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Thank you for dying for every one of my sins. Forgive me. Let me walk with you. If anyone has personally prayed that prayer for the first time this morning, I pray they would find one of our staff or find, find me. And we begin walking a life honoring you. Father, we love you. I lift up each student here to you. That we'd be overwhelmed by the simple truth of the gospel and that we would go because the world needs it. Hear me pray.